Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Setting the Tone Interviews. Uh, today, Lizzie and I are excited to get the chance to sit down with Charlie Lagola. Charlie is best known to ER fans for his behind-the-scenes work, serving as production designer for a whopping 124 episodes between seasons 10 through 15. Charlie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. A pleasure to be here. Good to meet you and all who are listening. So to kick us off, how did you get your start as a production designer? That's uh, I'll, I'll try to tell that story kind of quickly because it's a, a <laughs> long one. But um, uh, I got into set design in college by way of a, a happy accident, and uh, ended up uh, getting ending, ended up getting my degree in in theater uh, with uh, set design a focus. And uh, I moved to New York. I, I started out looking for work in the theater. But somewhere around five or so years after I graduated college, I um, was offered to work on this free for nothing, don't get paid short film. <laughs> and I thought, yes, I want to do that. I want to do that. And so I, I, I did this little film and I'm still friends with the people, uh, with the folks today who made that little movie back in 1988, I think it was, or 87. Um, and it, uh, it just got the, 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 uh, collaboration of what was going on with this, making this little no money movie, um, changed my perspective on going into television and film. So, uh, and it was, it was the people on that little project that helped me move in that direction. Um, so that was kind of the start was that one little movie where, you know, I, I, I often tell students these days, like, hey, if somebody asks you to work for free on a movie and give you a title, do it. Mm -hmm. That's how it started right. for me. If you need the credit, yeah. do it. What uh, what was the like transitional process going from doing production design for uh, like stage environment versus moving into film and television? Was there like a. a did you have to change your process very much? I don't think change the process very much. Uh, uh, it was more like understanding the environment. Uh, uh, in other words, in even in the theater, it's a three-dimensional space, but it's kind of a, um, a two-dimensional presentation. So that part did translate because we're looking at two-dimensional images on our TV screen. We're looking at a two-dimensional broadcast, right? right. Or film. Um, but the actors work in three in three dimensional spaces. And so different from the theater was instead of this proscenium type of thing is uh, I had to learn how to be aware of what's over my shoulder is just as important as what's in front of my face as an actor. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to put the actor in that space, it's everything around that actor is part of the environment. It's not that just proscenium uh, type of approach. So, um, and I took, I took that on like in a, in a dramatic way, like my education in college was in theater. So it, there was a lot of dramatic literature that I studied. So applying that to the three-dimensional space um, was really kind of like the difference. So uh, I'm sure this is glossing over a lot. If we're moving from 1988 to, uh, let's see, uh, season 10 would have been 2003. I'm sure we're, we're glossing over about 15 years worth of uh, in between there. Um, but what kind of was the uh, the breadcrumb trail that led you to starting on ER? 
the breadcrumb trail is pretty long. Um, the guys I met in New York, I, I started my career in New York in, in I moved there in 83. Uh, in 97, I moved to Los Angeles at the behest of a couple of friends of mine who got me into um, episodic television. Those guys are Bill D'Elia and Mike Listo. And they are hugely successful director producers. Um, and uh, so they, they helped me get this gig on, on the practice. I spent seven seasons on the practice and it was my first job in episodic. And uh, there were a couple of producers on that show that actually didn't want me because I didn't have any episodic television experience. And Bill said to Jeffrey Kramer at the time, just hire Charlie and thank me later. <laughs> and it took about five episodes until it was, they were giving me a raise so I wouldn't leave. <laughs> hey, I think that counts as a stamp of approval. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, the practice was winding down. How I got to ER, um, somewhere around 2001, I signed with an agency. And the practice had about 10 episodes left to shoot. And I got a phone call from the agent who said, I'm setting you up with uh, for a meeting with uh, Chris Chulak over at uh, ER. I said, fabulous, can't wait, cannot wait. I said, great, because even at that time, and I was a fan of ER, uh, I was a watcher. I was an audience member for sure. What I loved about the show as an audience member was um, the way they integrated personal stories with the medicine. A lot of hospital shows, it's more of a backdrop Right. And I felt that ER did a wonderful job. And I think it was kind of groundbreaking in 94, 95 to the way they did it. Mm -hmm. um, credit to John Wells and the writers, the way they integrated the work environment with the personal stories. And so I was a big fan. Anyhow, I go over to the meeting and uh, Chris had seen something on my resume. I had, I was the art, an art director on a couple of, television movies for uh, Showtime HBO that were directed by John Frankenheimer. And when Chris saw that name on my resume, he wanted to meet me because he felt, and he told me this later, he said, if you can work for Frankenheimer twice, you got to be good. <laughs> um, and that's true. I mean, and that was, that was kind of the culture with Chris, you know, they, there was no dead weight. There was no, if you, if you couldn't, if you couldn't handle it, you weren't hanging around. Sure. So that's how I got to that meeting. And um, I was a little bit shocked that a day later you know, they made an offer and for me to jump over there. Um, the, the guy who was there prior to me, for whatever reasons, and I don't even know exactly, uh, left the show. So it was a, it was like a, a quick decision to, to go over there. Um, that's how it began. So for the benefit of our audience, what does a production designer do and what are you responsible for in a given episode of something like ER? So I heard this from someone else, so I'll steal it for now, but someone said, look, a production designer is responsible for everything in front of the camera, except the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a real quick, short answer. And the way I kind of like elaborate on that is this, it might be the entire hospital or it might be the face of a wristwatch somehow it's coming across my desk as hmm. our direction. So on this last show I did called Promised Land, 
we did a lot of graphics. You know, I've designed more wine labels in that one show than I'll ever in, in the rest of my life. Yeah. But so for, from something as small as a wine label to the entirety of a 15,000 square foot set and all the architecture within, everything in between that is somehow coming across my desk um, or, or originating somehow between myself, producer and director, mm-hmm. and then going out from there. So uh, there, that's kind of, that's kind of it. It's the, it's the entirety, it's the gestalt of the environment of what you're seeing on the show. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people involved in, in that um, collaboration to get that stuff all in front of the camera. But nowadays uh, we're using much more visual effects. So even than we did back uh, in 2003 to 2009, there were, uh, visual effects for a television series was kind of like not that affordable and yeah. now it is and so even if it's a cg element or a uh, visual effect matte painting i i put more i have effort that goes into now cg and visual effects that you know 12 years ago i didn't really have much to do with sure um i did a series recently where i had a visual effects guy in my art department full time that scouted with me um, so I hope that answers your question. It's, it's kind of like the whole picture. Sure. Now, yeah. Other people say it's the imagery of the film or the imagery involved. Um, I don't disagree with that terminology. Um, I think it actually encompasses more than that word describes. So you're, you're working more, um, obviously, like you said, all the visual aspects of things like, so I would imagine at at a time uh, around the time you were on the show, like you said, it was much more practical stuff, like much, not virtually no visual effects at all. Which style do you prefer? I'm sure the process probably goes a little quicker when you have visual effects at your disposal versus doing everything through practical magic. But what, what style is kind of closest to your heart? Uh, I like doing the practical work. I really like the stuff that we can touch. As a matter of fact, the funny thing is the first episode I did, first or second episode I did of the art had a giant visual effect. <laughs> big, <laughs> of course, of course it did. It, it had it had the, the African uh, refugee plane in uh, season oh. episode. I can't remember if it's episode eight or nine or 10, but um, there was this uh, big visual effect. Um, but the... Uh, the practical part of that actually was done on the Warner Brothers lot. And I like that stuff that you can touch. I really get into like, I'd love going on the set after my decorator has done what he or she does best. I like going in there and just kind of sitting in the chair where the actor is going to be and feeling it and feeling that it's all like right there, sort of like mm-hmm. all the keys on the piano are right here. So that, that, that actor can do what they want to do. Um, it's uh, it's it's that feels to me like giving them like I have put my touch on giving them their environment so that they can be creative within it. So you, you kind of touched on this a little bit already. Um, that of course you you were a fan of the show coming in. You had been a kind of an avid watcher coming in. But what were some elements of the show's visual style that were already in place that you wanted to preserve coming in? 
Well, the word I read when I when I thought about that question, the the first word that came up for me was was verisimilitude, and I think that had something to do with why I got the job there too, which was my background was in making things look very real. Okay, so there was an authenticity to that show. And that's one of the reasons I got hired on the practice before ER was bringing authenticity, bringing verisimilitude. Okay, and that seemed to be kind of like my wheelhouse. All right. Mm -hmm. I loved as an audience member, I loved how real it felt. I loved how tactile it felt, even through the screen. Um, I don't think they ever overdid it with, you know, the blood and guts on that show. I think it felt very real. And uh, so I was like really, really focused and wary about like, I must maintain this level of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that just felt that, that every time, every, every time you do a set and, it, and you look at the dailies or you look at the episode and you feel like, oh yeah, that's real. I feel mm-hmm. really good about like doing the job. <laughs> Yeah. They're, like you said earlier, like certain other medical shows would kind of use the hospital and the medicine as kind of a backdrop. That was always sort of the feeling I got from something like House, where House felt much more like you, you didn't feel that sort of tactile sensation with the set design and everything. It just felt too, um, I don't know what the exact right, too ethereal. Like it didn't feel like it was part of what you were watching. It was much more character driven where you're you're here to pay attention to uh, House. You're not here to pay attention to the gurney and the medicine and all the, all the stuff around it, all the stuff around it felt much more just like set dressing. Yeah. I felt that, uh, again, as an audience member, I felt that what they did really well on ER was integrate, uh, the environment and the, uh, ambiance into the story. It was just so well, um, coordinated that nothing ever felt, uh, to me, Nothing ever felt to me like uh, it, it's just a piece of art direction, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I had to be uh, really aware of that. I never wanted to feel like, OK, well, that's look at that pretty picture. That's a good piece of art direction. That would be the worst thing to hear <laughs> on a show like <laughs> ER, because that means yeah. that somebody has been departed from the story and noticed the art direction. I don't want that. That's not that's not where. Again, my wheelhouse is. My wheelhouse is you don't know what I've done to make that. Oh, yeah. Seen without being heard kind of thing. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, what were some ways you tried to shake up the show's look and feel and bring your own unique style to it? Uh, there was an ironic moment in my first episode of VR that um, Laura Ennis, actress Laura Ennis, was the director of the first episode I got to do there. So I get the first script. It's like a Monday. And Tommy Burns, uh, line producer, hands me, they give me the script and it's called NICU, as in neonatal intensive care unit. A lot of people don't know that, you know, other than what was on stage 11, the ER, and what was the Mm -hmm. OR, most everything else did not exist. There there was no neonatal intensive care. There was no (laughs) intensive care unit, period. Um, so he handed me the script on a Monday. I get a meeting with Laura and he says, good luck. We're shooting this in five days. Okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And oh I, I thought I, I didn't say this, but I thought, fuck, if I don't get fired on this one, I'll never get fired. Cause it's the, 
it was like 65 pages in the NICU, which was a set that they didn't 65 out of 70 pages oh in the gosh. NICU. Okay. And we needed babies and we needed real babies. And there's lots of rules about that, about bringing babies on sets. So um, I had a, I don't know, 15 minute meeting with Laura and she again said, okay, sounds good. Good luck. I'll see you next Monday. And um, about four days later, about three days later, Chris Chulak walked on the set and uh, he said, good, thumbs up, got to go. So uh, to answer your question, Elizabeth, about shaking it up was I did do something for that episode that they had never done before. And that was to paint the, paint the sets, to p- pick a palette for the neonatal intensive care that was all pastel. Okay. They had never really had that on ER. The greens and the blues on that show were kind of dark and dense. Even the browns and the earth tones were kind of dark and dense. And um, that was all highlighted by the equipment that floated in front of it. So I just thought, you know what? Roll the dice. This is the right, that felt like the right thing to do for me. And uh, there was like no time because it was like, you got to tell the painters what these colors are tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. because they're painting it, whether you're there or not. Um, you know, an episodic television schedule is everything. Right. Uh, so I, I went for it and uh, did this whole pastel flooring pastel. And I swear to you, every when, when I gave out the blueprints and the color palettes and the, and uh, the decorator, Tim, wonderful man, uh close to my heart he did such a great job but i gotta tell you a lot of people saw what i was doing and were super skeptical that this didn't (laughs) look like Hmm. and even the paint crew and the construction crew were like are you sure you want to do this are you (laughs) trying to save you from yourself exactly exactly (laughs) but then you know like i said four days later chris came in gave it the thumbs up and and off we go and i don't know if you'll ever get a chance to see that episode again but i think it looks great um (laughs) we 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 will definitely get there at some point we're going one one by one i mean but it's so crazy too because like more so on a casting side of things than a set design kind of thing but the show was very good about continuity the show was very good about even if we haven't shown you a person or a a, a room in three or four years it's going to look almost exactly the same or it's going to be the same actor or the same actress that we last showed you three or four years ago so you're making this bold design choice on the the first appearance of this if they ever decide to go back to a NICU in a future episode it's going to have even if you decided you hated it after that first episode it's still going to have to have those same colors uh, attached to it because to them, you know, continuity is king. Yeah. So it's, it, it's a very bold choice. That was something too, that like about, about maintaining uh, uh, the look of something is I feel like, and especially in episodic television that an audience gets, uh, they get kind of like touchstones, visual touchstones that they want to see again to help them understand where they are. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was a little bit risky, but I think that it was appropriate for, you know, that particular episode um, but I don't think that we blew, I don't think that we went f- too far on the other side. In other words, the structures felt, felt the same, you know, a lot of the, mm-hmm. um, the, the density and the layering of equipment felt the same. And that was one thing that was really important to John Wells and, and all of the ER, uh, um, concept was that it was really layered in the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so that it felt, uh, that there was a, a little bit of a, 
uh, chaotic realism to it. I was just wondering, did you ever have to do that again? Just build a whole new portion of the hospital and try to give it its own unique yes. look? Uh, one that comes to mind immediately is there was an episode that Tom Arnold uh, was the guest star oh, yeah. in. It was like a children's program or a pediatrician type mm -hmm. of a program. Yeah, at the very and end. towards the end of the series, yeah. And we built that entire gym uh, from scratch. So oh, okay. the walls, the rock wall. In fact, one of my sons is the kid climbing the rock wall in the background. <laughs> uh, but that was all that was all created from scratch for that one episode or two episodes. It might have been. I may have shown up in two. But uh, we did often um, create and recreate, create and recreate parts and pieces of the hospital. You know, the morgue was uh, the morgue was a set that only came out. Um, parts of it were done way at the beginning of the series, and then didn't show up again for like seven seasons, and then it didn't, mm -hmm. you know, didn't show up again for two seasons. But even in that, even though it kind of looks similar, it's a different form each time because the action you have to design around the action and the way the director is telling me he wants to right. tell this story. You know, if he wants to tell this story over the shoulder of somebody and never move that camera and keep moving and keep walking in our famous steady cam moves, I have to allow for that in design, you know, for an, as an example, like around a dining room table, I always make sure that there's exactly enough room in feet and inches for a small camera dolly to get behind the dining room chair. Right. Um, so anyhow. Uh, yeah. But so one of the things that the things to me anyway, as a viewer that is most kind of striking or um, it's easy for me to identify besides just, you know, actors on the screen, but one of the, the quickest ways for me to identify what era of the show I'm watching is the middle of kind of the, the center of the ER itself in those later seasons when you were in charge of everything it's much more blown open. Like they're, they blew that room wide open. Um, there used to be like a whole wall in front of the desk with windows and stuff that in the later half of the series is all beds. And it was like much like what was kind of the thinking behind that? Was it just that we wanted more activity in the background or was it that we are cameras are changing and we need to make room for bigger cameras or like, what was kind of the thought? Well, I think the word it? that comes um, that motivates that is the word scope. In other words, you know, so if you get back here with the camera, if you get back away into the corner and you want to look mm -hmm. across the room, you don't want to be interrupted by too many things. And I think that that was uh, an evolving development was this idea of cinematic scope in television. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was all kind of, you know, I think each season we, we would have these these discussions about, you know, what should we upgrade? What should we improve? What should we do this? Hey, wouldn't it be great if, for example, the ambulance bay never had anything of an interior beyond those glass doors till like season 12 or 13, right? Mm -hmm. So there was this discussion at the beginning of a season, like, what can we do? What can what what more can we give our directors to shoot, right? So we ended up creating a more of a 50% interior connected to the ambulance bay, which hadn't been there for 12 years um moving walls or opening up windows or adding a window here or there or raising a ceiling it's all comes from this idea of more scope we want more scope we want more more of a cinematic feel so um and you you put it in where you need it you put it in where you want it you put it in where you need it as long as you know we're not again cheating the audience out of what they expect 
you know, I'm kind of aware of that. Like I'll tell you more about another hospital show where season two, I redesigned the whole hospital, but it just, wow. it just looked like a better hospital, not a different hospital. So uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit as well too, but uh, generally speaking, how much collaboration is there between you and the director of, uh, you know, any given episode? I'm sure, like you said, schedules kind of dictates everything, but is it like you get one 15 minute, uh, meeting at the beginning of the week and then you never see him again, or are you kind of, kind of touching base with them continually throughout the process? Each show does it a little, a little differently. And the script, uh, depending on what comes out in the script, it, it will, um, it will motivate a number of different kinds of meetings. Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing I used to do, um, I remember from ER is I'd go out on a location scout with a guest director and we would start talking about it from top to bottom. So the first meeting that usually happens is, when you get a script is sets and locations. Okay. What are we going to keep on the lot? What needs to go off the lot? Do we need to take that off the lot and, and find a location? Do we want to build a set? <clears throat> and we'll start looking at the action. The director and I will start talking about the action and uh, I'll ask questions like, well, do you need that guy to fall through a skylight? Or, I mean, are we, is that the moment that we're going for, or do we want to do something different? That's, uh, you know, not less than that, different than that, better than that. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a little bit of give and take there in that beginning of how are we going to make the show? And sometimes the art direction has to be pushed around by the schedule. So there were oftentimes on ER where they'd rather have us build a very big expensive set than go off the lot because a certain group of actors needed to be in that set. And if you had a guest star, like, I don't know, I, I can't think of a name off the top of my head, some famous, <laughs> what they call stunt casting. So when they cast a very, very well-known actor or actress to do a guest starring role, Ray Liotta, for example. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes more valuable and more cost-effective and more creatively effective if you build the expensive set on the lot and have the director and myself figure that out in with our resources there, then say, go out to a location where we uh, can't have as much creative flexibility. Mm. So, you know, there is this, you know, I, I mean, I, again, this comes all goes all the way back to my theater experience in college. I love that part where I'm sitting there with a, a director and a producer figuring out from the black and white page, what are we going to do? How are we right. going to make this? That's, you know, that's where I get really excited about making a show. Mm -hmm. So um, it does kind of, like you said, Daniel, it does, it's kind of like a rolling meeting. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'll send, I'll send a director a text to say, look, I need 20 minutes with you today. Okay. And we need to talk about these things. And, um, you know, someone said to me on this recent location scout I was on, I uh, said, it's kind of like you're the director before the director gets there to shoot the picture. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of like that sometimes, you know, because uh, you're putting everything in place. You're putting right, everything right. on spot so that when he gets there, he can tell the actors, stand here, do this, try this, stand here, do this, try that. Um, I just... I, I just find that to be uh, some of my most pleasurable experiences is to working with the guys from the black and white written page 
mm-hmm. figuring out what it is we're going to do. And when I get it here in my head, when my head matches up with the director's head, I just feel like, go, 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 go. Yeah. And uh, it still excites me after what? 35 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> so who were, or still are, if you're, since you're still working, uh, some of your favorite directors to work with? Um, couple of my favorites, just for the fun factor, Paul McCrane, who was Dr. Romano. Okay. Mm-hmm. He started directing on ER after he got his arm cut off. <laughs> um, we have a great relationship and a great friendship. And uh, he's just a lot of fun to be around. He is so like not Dr. Romano. <laughs> so I just, you know, I see that guy coming down the hallway and I'm just so happy to see him. It's fun. Just fun. I had him on recently on All Rise too as a director and we had a great time. Laura Ennis was another one that I really enjoyed working with. I mean, nobody, there's no, there's nobody there that I didn't enjoy working with. Sure. But I've had some really like fun times with a few people. John, Jonathan Kaplan, who was a director producer for a long time on the show. I really enjoy that guy. And um, he was one tough character. I mean, he does not suffer <laughs> fools and he has no patience for bullshit. And but I love that guy and I love that about him. Chris Julak's the same way. No patience for bullshit, man. Let's get it. Let's let's make this great and, and make it good. And I just love that kind of like, you know, um, rally, like let's rally. And I love those guys for that. We've definitely heard that about Jonathan Kaplan. Every, pretty much everybody we've talked to has a Jonathan Kaplan story, either <laughs> either about getting yelled at by him or hearing him so, yell at someone else. Yeah. So, uh, so for us as viewers, what's maybe um, kind of the most challenging aspect of production design that we might take for granted? Mm, let me think. Uh, take for granted. Um. I think what I'm going to say is it's a good thing you do take it for granted is you don't know what you're doing (laughs) behind the scenes. You know, you don't like the the general audience doesn't know that I need, I have 45 guys making that set on two shifts of 12 hours a day. And there's a logistical mechanism that goes on behind the scenes that is massive and um the coordination like people will look at the credits on any tv show and go how can possible how can it take that many people to make a movie (laughs) Eh." it does it really does so i'm glad you take it for granted i'm glad you take that stuff for granted that means we're doing a good job you know if uh um I, I think that also, like, I've had this comment before, uh, ER, what did you do on ER? Don't they just shoot that in a hospital? <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. Uh, right? <laughs> right? That, yeah, I know, I know that wasn't your uh, doing originally, but the way that they were able to translate that original hospital location yeah. into a set that lasted the full 15 years of the show is just incredible because when you go and watch the pilot other than a few little small details that if you're really really paying close attention you'll notice other than that it looks almost seamless yeah yeah it, it was really well done and i gotta say that about the whole team at er warner brothers john wells the, chris chulak the whole bunch everybody wanted excellence demanded excellence and i loved that about being there too they really um you know they expected a game all the time every day 
And I love that. I love being part of that uh, culture where you got to bring the A game every day and you're going to put this, you know, this stuff in front of the camera is going to be excellent. That's what we expect. That's what's going to happen. So as we've already been talking about, ER was very ambitious during the time that you worked on the show. I mean, before as well as, but uh, with more location shoots, including the critically acclaimed Africa episodes, uh, what are some of the production design challenges that come along with taking a show that's usually in one place or one set and then sort of blowing the whole thing wide open like that? Oh, well, I told you the NICU story already. I mean, it was kind of blowing <laughs> yeah. the whole thing open. And the Africa um, episode, I, my second episode was in Africa for most of the script. Right. And then I had another episode that was, I forget the, I forget the character's name, but he was in uh, a combat surgical hospital in Iraq. And we, oh, we yeah. did a giant set in Lancaster, California, that was 13 acres of combat surgical hospital exterior. Wow. Chris took us there. We had to scout it on a Saturday. We flew out of Burbank uh, airport in a helicopter and landed in my set. Um, it was <laughs> awesome um wow but to answer your question uh again i think it comes back to the word authenticity it's like and chris was chris was also pretty supportive of this he'd say do what you want to do you're the designer but excellence and authenticity right so <clears throat> it's not that i'm looking to kind of like change something for the sake of change it's not i'm not looking for anything to serve my own ego i want to make the show the best show you know like those guys who taught me about filmmaking back in new york in the 80s and the early 90s is yes i'm the design i'm the production designer but i'm a filmmaker we got to make the best show not the best set you know yeah so another uh challenge i guess is during your time on the show um the switch to hd and wider aspect ratios was kind of gaining momentum on network television and so what if any impact did kind of the just march of technology have on your job well we shot panavision cameras and film up until the last season so we were kind of shooting like a movie uh, and I, I think they, they did shoot a wide format, but of course what they call, you know, protect for television. Uh, I don't know too much about, uh, that other than that when we switched to digital cameras, uh, it was in, I believe it was motivated by a desire for John and Chris to, um, move the entire company into, uh, the new technology. Mm -hmm. Um, what I found out was that. And what I learned from that experience was there were fewer cheats that we could do. There were a lot of theatrical cheats you could do in terms of, say, art direction, meaning painted surfaces and cheap props or uh, I hesitate to say cheap, inexpensive solutions. Uh, the uh -huh. digital camera started to see so much more detail that yeah. we did have to make a shift and lighting had to make a shift. Um, because digital cameras see fields of color rather than light and shadow. You don't see shadows unless you light them. Mm. And uh, so there was this, there was this change in, in, uh, in not palette. In other words, we were still using the same palette, but we actually had to change the colors of the paint to stay in the same look. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sort of like, uh, sort of like how they have to do other things for food photography and things because they won't show up as well on camera. Right. 
Um, right. Yeah. So I might pick a, depending on where it was, I might pick a darker shade, darker shade of the same color, just so it appears on that digital camera the same. Hmm. Um, so what lessons, if any, did you take from your time on ER to other productions you worked on since? One, I guess one of the lessons is, you know, you're only good as, you know, there's this, there's this uh, phrase in showbiz across the board is you're only as good as your last fuck up. <laughs> You know, and so, but that, you know, that, that was a, a, a way to remember that we're, we're here to do an excellent job every day. You know, that yesterday's work does not feed you today. So you, you got to do it as well or as, as better today, tomorrow, and the next day as you did last week. Um, you know, there's a, uh, this comes from a spiritual program that says yesterday's yeah or yesterday's dinner doesn't feed you today. So, mm-hmm. and in that sense, I mean that I still got, I got to do a great job tomorrow, even though I did a great job last week, it doesn't matter. And, and yeah. I think that was a good lesson. The other thing um, that pr- on a more practical note from ER was to prioritize effort. Um the, again, the culture there was about an excellent making making excellence, but you have X amount of time, X amount of people, X amount of money. So prioritizing effort to what's really, really the most important aspects of, say, a show or a scene or an episode uh, was something that was really a fine-tuned exercise in, in that company. Mm-hmm. Um for example, if I had a one page set, uh, a set where it's only going to be on screen for 45 seconds versus a set that's going to be on screen for four minutes, well, you got to put a lot more effort into that bigger scene uh, than the smaller scene. So prioritizing, it's, it's not that you give it the short shrift, but you prioritize and focus your efforts um to the biggest best needs of that script so uh, one of the things that we always like to do when we do these is give our listeners a chance to submit a couple of questions and the first of what those is uh what has been your biggest production design challenge in your entire career not just on er but kind of the the biggest task you've been given and managed to make it through um well actually there was a really big one on the show i just finished called promised land which was building the the, the exterior backside of a mansion with a big patio and a swimming pool and all that stuff. Um, but actually I think that one of the biggest challenges was uh, the collapsing building episode on ER. Oh yeah. And so we built that structure from the ground up four stories of steel and, uh, and sets where the 18 stunt people fell through three floors of the balconies. Um, that was, Ooh that was that was challenging it was so satisfying to uh to pull that thing off um that was a wonderful that was a wonderful moment um i remember you know john called a few of us into his office and said look we have this idea we want to do this episode but you got to give us a pitch on how you're going to do this and how much it's going to cost so uh, a few I, i made a set model uh, d- demonstrated how we could do this mm-hmm. and um, brought uh, special effects and stunts and construction were in the meeting with us and 
John said, how much is this going to go? And I said, well, between the three of us sitting here in the room, it's probably going to be about a million dollars. And he said, well, it better be fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say it was. (laughs) Wow. How much of that scene was practical versus versus digital special effects? The only visual effects you saw in that were what was on the left side and the right side of the building in the wide, wide shot. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, imagine that imagine that's the kind of thing you don't get a second take on either uh we actually did we in other words part of the arrangement oh. was we shot that over two nights and part of uh what was engineered into that were how to reset it okay. so how to oh. shoot the aftermath first then we oh. at night then my crew came in in the day and assembled it for the stunt so we actually did the stunt first on the first night, then did the aftermath scenes with the dialogue and the ambulances and all of that stuff. And, the you know, put pressure here. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we came back the, the next morning and reset it for take two. So it took us like most of the next day to reset for take two. So they divided up the photography in there um, so that it, you, we could have a chance to do that second take reset. Wow. Not which take did you end up using? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it, 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 you nailed it. So. Yeah, it was really good, wasn't uh, it? Yeah. Uh, so, and the second question is much less, uh, <laughs> much more direct and much less philosophical. Uh, how badly did you want to update the tile color of the trauma? Oh, I was looking at that question. I got to tell you guys something. <laughs> okay, so... So there was one director towards the end of the series who said, you know, I think we should like upgrade the tones in there. We were in season 15. All right. I never (laughs) wanted to change it. I never wanted to change it. I thought the stuff was, was really great. It had a period feel to it, kind of a soft period feel to it. It had become such an icon on the show. I mean, you imagine, can you imagine what the audience would have said if they tuned in and saw they did not see the green and black tile or the red and yellow tile. And so um literally somebody wanted to change it just for like one episode toward the end <laughs> and i i just i just shut my mouth and uh, i just let it let it roll let them talk it out because it ain't gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> that's a- was just a stylistic thing that they wanted to bring to their to their particular yeah episode. but but in essence what could have been accomplished with to do what was a lighting effect a lighting effect would have pretty much done what I mm. think we were talking about. <laughs> so, yeah. but you guys on the blog, you probably won't be able to see this, but this is a, I'm showing you on the zoom call here. This is a pen that is made from the actual tiles that were oh my trauma God, one awesome. and trauma two. That's so I said, dressing cool, lead man, grabbed the tiles when they were striking the set and made these pens. That is awesome. Yep, That's the actual tiles. Can't can't imagine there are too many of those floating uh-uh, around. Not that's, too many. <laughs> that's awesome. Holy cow. Uh so uh on that note, uh one final question that we make a habit out of asking everybody we talk to. What do you think it is important for fans of ER to know about it from your unique perspective? In other words, when you think back on your time on the show, what would you want fans to know about the experience that wouldn't necessarily be clear just from watching? I think I'd like fans to know that and I mentioned this already about the culture of of excellence um i'd like the fans to know that 
and not even from us guys who work behind the scenes, but that culture of excellence came from the actors as well as the producers. They were a wonderful bunch of people. And it was a joy for all of us who work behind the scenes to help them work and watch that magic happen. Um, so when we talk about ER having this culture of excellence, this culture of authenticity and a massive culture of teamwork, teamwork, it, it was extraordinary. Um, I'd like everybody to know that that was across the board uh, from, you know, the occasional recurring character through all of the, you know, Noah and Mara and, and the producers, John and Chris, the culture that went on to make that show behind the scenes was uh, a wonderful thing. It was a wonderful thing professionally and personally. So um, uh, I hope they'll hang on to that. <laughs>